Hey, cashiers. We Have the Receipts podcast is coming at you live from Netflix is a Joke Fest in Los Angeles. Chris, are you kidding? No, Netflix is a joke, Courtney, but this is not one of them. Our listeners in LA have the chance to join us for a live recording of our podcast, We Have the Receipts, hosted by me, Chris Burns. And me, Courtney Revolution. Join us and a few surprise guests from your favorite Netflix reality shows on Saturday, May 4th at 1 p.m. at a secret location in Hollywood. To be announced. Get your tickets for the We Have the Receipts live show at todoom.com slash W-H-T-R. That's todoom, T-U-D-U-M dot com slash W-H-T-R. Tickets are limited. If you can't make it to the show, we still want to hear your beautiful voice. Leave us a message at speakpipe.com slash We Have the Receipts. You may even hear your own voice on the show. Grab a ticket at todoom.com slash W-H-T-R. And we'll see you on May 4th in Los Angeles. Bye, cashiers. I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is You Can't Make This Up. You Can't Make This Up is the podcast where we uncover the true stories behind your favorite Netflix documentaries and films. On today's episode, we take a closer look at the Netflix documentary, Our Father. When I opened up Ancestry, I had over 3,000 hints. All of these random names were popping up, and it said close family. We all matched the name Klein. Dr. Klein was the best infertility doctor in Indianapolis. Today, we're talking to one of the subjects of the film, Jacoba Ballard. Jacoba's mother became pregnant with the help of an Indiana fertility clinic and donor sperm. When she used a home DNA kit to find possible half-siblings, she found more people than would be conceived by an average donor. Jacoba and the others realized their shared relative was the clinic's doctor, Donald Klein. As Jacoba and her ever-growing number of newfound siblings try to untangle his dark web of deceit, their pursuit of justice lies at the heart of this profoundly unsettling story about an unimaginable breach of trust. It's disgusting to sit there and lay in bed at night and wonder if the person that created you is some racist bigot and he used my mom as a pawn. And he did it over and over and over again. Jacoba Ballard, welcome to You Can't Make This Up. Hi. <laughs> nice being here. You said in the documentary that as a child, you looked too blonde and blue-eyed for your swarthy family, and you suspected you came from someplace else. So how did your parents um, address your curiosity? So at first... They would just tell me, no, you're ours and and everything. But at the age of 10 is when my, my mom told me that I was from donor sperm. Did you understand what that meant when you were 10 years old? I did, yeah, actually. But what's crazy is they didn't shelter me. I mean, they didn't like expose me to crazy things, but they didn't shelter me. So, you know, like normal body stuff was just talked about in my family and, um, I also, I feel like I was kind of the weird kid because I've always been interested in medical stuff. And so, yeah, I completely understood 
you know, a lot of donors were, were donating sperm, not in this situation, but in regular donor situations, they were donating sperm a long time before there was such a thing as DNA testing. And it was, you know, a lot of them were very young and a lot of them were in a place where it was just like, this is something that I'm doing either to be helpful or to make sometimes money on the side. You know, there's a lot of stories and podcasts out there about that. And I think there's a lot, lack of thought at the time that there's going to be a longing of kids and a wondering about identity, right? Yes. I don't want to blame those that donate because, um, you know, I, I can't say everybody has their own personal reasons why they do, whether that to be help somebody or um, for beer money, because there have been in the groups that I'm in, there have been ones that have donated for money to party. But I think it's more the industry. They disconnect People, they, they start off with the parents of, you know, this is going to be your child. It's your real child, which absolutely we we are 100%. But they, they don't involve and include the importance for the genetic connections and also medical history and all of that. So they start there. And then with donors, because I have, you know, also heard some of their stories. They are just told, you know, you're helping somebody. It's not your child. So they completely, I feel like, dehumanize those that are donor-conceived. And, you know, it's a marginalized group that from the very beginning, before they're even born, don't have rights. So when you used that home DNA kit, what were your expectations initially? Um, <laughs> to find a sibling or two. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I connected with a couple ladies prior to taking it. and. You know, we were like, well, let's take it and see if we're related. And we did. And I thought, well, you know, this will be this will be awesome if that's, you know, I have one or two siblings. If not, the two that, you know, I, I tested with, I thought, well, you know, we could still kind of go down this journey together and maybe find biological family and celebrate with each other. So how long did it take between the joy of finding a relative to the concern over just how many relatives that you found? Oh, so I honestly don't remember the exact timeline, but it was fairly quick. I want to say six months or less, hmm. because when we um, had all tested, then myself and two others, we would have three-way calling and texting and, you know, calling each other and doing research. Your first thought wasn't the donor here is the doctor, was it? No, it was not. Um, I feel like that's that wasn't even on our radar. Hmm. None of us had, you know, any speculation. We honestly really thought like what he had told our parents of he used a donor no more than three times. It was a medical resident matched to our, you know, father's characteristics was going to be that. And I think just for me, I don't, I can't speak for the others, but for me, I thought that was true because I always thought if it's a doctor, they're telling the truth. Right. And why wouldn't you believe them? Right. In the documentary, we see you and about 10 people meeting with Dr. Klein for the first time. Um, can you take me back to that day and just tell me, tell me a little bit of what, the, what that was like? Yeah, so it was uh, myself and five other siblings and um, his son that he had raised with his wife actually set that up. He said that he would get us a meeting because he asked, like, what we want. And I said, we want the truth. 
it was almost like the moment that his feet hit the floor, you could hear his footsteps and you could hear his cane. He was not showing emotion. And on his hip, I could see the outline of a gun. We fully went in expecting that we could look him in his face and maybe after he saw us, he would tell us the truth and give us, you know, answers. So there's this recurring line, Klein assures you there wouldn't be more than eight siblings, then no more than 12 siblings and so on. Like, was there ever going to be an acceptable number of siblings? Um, I don't want to say acceptable number. Yeah. Um, I think it would have been acceptable had he not lied and told us the truth. Yeah. I think that is more than anything, if he could have just finally told the truth. Hmm. We already knew what you did. You know, it's wrong. But I feel like he was given chance after chance to, I mean, just come clean. Tell us. Tell us what you do when you'd get another alert that another half sibling had matched with you. Yeah. So now um, other siblings do that as well, too. Um, But in the beginning, a lot of times it was myself or um, Julie when she came along and I would send like a generic message first because you can message through 23andMe and Ancestry, you know, explaining to them that I'm sure you're shocked by your results. And, you know, I wanted to explain to them. I would give my phone number and tell them that, you know, I can text, talk, whatever made them more comfortable or if they felt more comfortable messaging through the app Mm. or the testing site that we could also speak through there. Most of them would either call or text. Some did not. And then I would then send a second message. They knew it wasn't spam telling them, hey, our biological father is Dr. Klein and go through the whole thing. Mm. But I knew every single time, the only way I can describe it, and I say it over and over, is I know that I am going to ruin their life. Mm. This is the worst day of their life and everything that they have known or thought that they knew I'm getting ready to destroy and it's a horrible horrible feeling and then you have to turn around and you have to help them rebuild yeah all the while reliving the trauma do you find that a lot of these siblings are coming into the DNA testing platforms not knowing anything? I mean, are they coming in knowing that they are donor conceived? Are they coming in, you know, they're curious about their DNA makeup as many people are going into these platforms? Are they going in knowing that they're different and and curious? Or or is it a variety of situations? That's a good question. So it's actually a variety. We have had some who their parents did not tell them. I don't know. I wasn't there, but from what I've heard from other parents that did use what they thought was donor sperm was to never tell your children that they didn't need to know and you just go on with life. And so some of them weren't told and, you know, went and asked their parents. Um, Some of a few, I want to say like a handful were told. We also have siblings who it was super shocking, like Julie in the documentary, They were supposed to be from their dad's sperm. Hmm. You know, they've went and talked to their parents if they're still living. And they were told, you know, no, you were supposed to be your dad's. And it's just, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, because even the parents didn't know. No. No. 
So we meet many of your half-siblings in the film. Um, do you have close relationships with some of them? Yes, I do. With a big group like this, obviously not everyone is going to be as close to each other. But there is you know, quite a few that I have relationships with, talk to every day, um, go on vacations, hmm. spend time as fam- with our families. It's wonderful. So you wanted to get the word out about Dr. Klein, but law enforcement wasn't interested. Uh, the media largely wasn't interested, but then it took a reporter um, taking up the cause. Um, can you talk about Angela and how important she was in advancing your story? Oh, good grief. Um, Angela is amazing. And I am so grateful for her and thankful I had someone like her in my state and, you know, said, I'm going to help you. I laid out a long paragraph of the whole story and what had happened. I had even sent our story that had aired and said, did you, did you watch our story? I've been asking these questions for more than a year and I'm getting nowhere. And I feel like it's time that the prosecutor or the attorney general or somebody sits down and answers the questions that I have. And she fully jumped in and helped. Not talking like, well, when I have time. I mean, she like absorbed herself and did everything that she could to help. I said, I mean, I'll just always be grateful for her. Now, I have to tell you, as an audio producer myself, I am very impressed with the quality of the recordings of Klein's phone call to you, the one in which he's asking you not to tell your story to the media. How were you able to capture that? Oh, <laughs> that was actually a split second decision. I didn't even know what I was going to do with that recording. So my home phone rang and for some reason I was just, I hit the record button on my cell phone hmm. and I put my home phone on speaker and recorded it. Um, if this comes out, uh, our marriage will be over. Um, can you help? Um, I mean, no disrespect, but I feel like what you're telling me is to keep my life a secret. That I am not allowed to know who I am well, when I didn't do anything wrong. Well, yes, but, you know, I did, at the time, I didn't feel like I was doing anything wrong either. But you, I feel like I'm being blamed for this, like it's my fault. I don't understand. It's, it's your fault because I don't care who you tell, it's just putting it on television for the entire world to see. And there again, I didn't know what I was going to use it for. It just, there was this gut feeling that told me to record it, and I did. Yeah, it was a good choice. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I'll tell you, hearing him in his own words asking you to stay silent was stunning to me. Yes. A person that we know, you know, deceived so many people. One of the things that really stuck out to me, I mean, this added dimension to the deception, and I am so glad that the film did not shy away from this. Not just that Dr. Klein used his own sperm uh, to impregnate all of these women, but that he, you know, would leave the patient to masturbate and then return to the room in that post-arousal state to do the insemination. I know it's graphic, but I don't think it's unimportant. Um, I believe it's sexual misconduct. Do you believe that it's sexual misconduct also? My own personal feelings, yes. Yeah. I do. 
If, I mean, as you see with Tim Delaney, the prosecutor. I don't deny that it was a sexual violation, but legally it isn't a sexual violation. I feel like my mother was raped is a valid human emotional statement. But Dr. Klein committed rape is a legal assertion that was not true. And I wasn't going to put it on paper with my signature. I threw out every single thing, even to battery, and begged. And I fully knew, you know, when he says in there thinking that I didn't understand his role, I fully knew he was a prosecutor and he's not our attorney and what his job is. But that was, I couldn't, it was like I was trying to make him, like, understand, do your job. Yeah. I'm not asking you to do anything extra, but I want you to do your job. Mm-hmm. And... You know, just the only obstruction of justice charges that he got. It's mind-blowing to me. So we do hear that a legal complication here is that the law is pretty silent on whether or not a doctor can secretly substitute his own sperm, which is shocking to me. Um, So what crime were you hoping that Klein would be charged with? Something other than obstruction of justice. Like, he wasn't even charged with any crime for what he did. And I mean, like I said, even battery, you know, when I told Delaney that I could spit in his face and I could be arrested and charged for spitting in his face, but a man can go and masturbate, go back into that room where you just saw a woman naked, her feet in the stirrups, and you can place your bodily fluid inside her and create a child and there's no consequence. And I think that's another thing to throw his. So many people say, well, your mother consented. Well, first, not all the mothers did consent. Did mine? Yes. But she did not consent to that sperm. And she did not consent to her doctor. I think that people need to separate the fact that when it is someone that's in control and power and that it's totally different. (laughs) And it also, it doesn't mean that, you know, our parents didn't want us either or that we're not grateful to be alive. I, I really think there needs to be a total disconnect from that. Yeah. I mean, I like to think that if I went to the doctor and my doctor gave me one medication, but told me it was a different medication and I was harmed by that, that my doctor would get in trouble for fraud or something as a result of that. You know, you like to think that there's accountability there. And Mm -hmm. I know that there is some accountability when it comes to medical processes and, you know, boards of medicine and so forth. I cannot believe there's not even a fraud component here. It's shocking to me. So there's no, like, even just for the lying there's no, mm-hmm. there's no crime. There's no, I mean, what about the Board of Medicine? I mean, was there anything like that in the background going on? Well, um, let me, let me say this. So um, with the lying, during court with the obstruction of justice, he stood there apologizing in court and he said that he did it no more than 50 times. It's now over that. So while he was apologizing for lying, he lied. Yeah. The medical licensing board told us that they were going to revoke his license. And we got there that day and they decided not to. They let him surrender it. So that doesn't show anything bad when you look him up. It just shows that he retired and surrendered. And I believe they said that he would no longer be able to apply in the state of Indiana, hmm. but their surrounding states. So, I mean, I... That's where I said again and again, I feel like we were failed so many times. Yeah. 
So at the end, we learned that 44 fertility doctors have been accused of using their own sperm on patients. And I'm wondering, you know, the common denominator here, is there something powerful, uh, secretly tempting about secretly fathering children? Or does this profession maybe uh, attract bad actors who want to have like godlike powers? I mean, what do you think the common denominator here is? I honestly don't know. Um, I can tell you that number's actually higher. Mm. There's some that are not public yet, but it's it's higher than that. <laughs> I can say, like, there's another lady who is public in Texas, and her uh, her biological father, who is a doctor, um, is still practicing. The state didn't even take his license away. Mm. I know the comments that he has made that I've read in the public that I, to me personally, I feel like it's a power control thing. And as far as like the other reasons, I, I don't know. Yeah. I go back and forth all the time. Hmm. So many documentaries use actors performing recreations to tell the story. And in this case, they had you play yourself recreating meetings and court proceedings. I'm wondering, did that take any arm twisting on the filmmakers part with you? No, Actually, it didn't. I didn't know how I was going to feel about it. I can just say I wanted this out from the very beginning. You know, I wanted justice and we didn't get that through the courts. And so, you know, Lucy and Michael promised me we will get you justice in the form of public opinion. And so when I went in and did the reenactments and everything, I kind of loved it. I it was <laughs> and she said you've done so well. She actually asked me at one point if I had ever acted before and I said no, but <laughs> I actually felt more comfortable acting than I do during interviews, yeah. if that makes any sense. But it was not just to be on camera. You know, I've had some people say, you know, you just want fame. No, I wanted our story out there, but it was almost like a healing process for me too. What people don't know is, you know, Keith, who played Donald Klein, during that time, you know, I told Michael and Lucy, and sorry for tearing up here, um, I told them, you know, there were certain things that I wanted to say to Klein that I never got to say. And so I didn't know. She had went to him and she said, you know, let her get this out. And we had moments where we would go back and forth and I got to say a lot of the things I wanted to say to him that I never got to. So this was a process of healing for me too. And knowing that I am worthy and I am strong. And I I learned during that too, that I'm not only want to be my voice, my siblings voice, my parents, all the parents, I want to be a voice for people. Those that have also suffered from this. And if they can't speak up or don't want to, for some reason, I'll be that. Um, Anyone that has been sexually assaulted, I'll be that. Donor conceived, I will be your person. If you can't do it right now, I will do it until, I'll carry you until you have the strength to walk on your own. So it was cathartic in a way to get to be in those Oh, (laughs) yes, so much. (laughs) Was it in any way, I have to ask, uh, a collaborative process with the filmmakers? Did you ever say, you know, you know, no, I was sitting here and, you know, no, I, I wouldn't wear that. <laughs> you know? Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, again, Michael and Lucy, like, oh, <laughs> they were so amazing at the feedback. 
anything. And it, it, even if it wasn't just pertaining to me, if it was something that like I had more, you know, expertise on, or, um, if someone else like Keith that played Klein, we would speak up and say, oh, this wouldn't have happened, or it would have been like this, this, and they listened. It was, it was amazing. So from the first shot of the film, we see your medicine cabinet. We know many of your half-siblings have health issues that they believe they inherited from Klein. And, you know, I want to know how you're doing, but also, you know, what is your relationship like with doctors these days? Do you, do you trust them? No, Hmm. I absolutely do not. And it got worse. So two years ago when I started getting sick, I, you know, started going to doctors and I can never say a hundred percent that this is a reason, but when they asked about medical history and I told them what happened, I mean, how else do you explain that? You know, I have X, Y, and Z amount of siblings. They said that didn't matter. Um, I've been told by one that, um, well, that's not your real family. And others that said they knew him and just, (laughs) I was, I was treated poorly. Hmm. And then I just kept declining and declining till last year. There was a period I couldn't walk. I'd lost weight. And I mean, I was, I literally thought I was going to die. Hmm. And I was told by them, well, you're, you're just going to have to, you're going to have to wait. Cause I'm, I was begging them. I'm like, please get me into, you know, specialist something like there's something you guys can do. And for over a year, I was not treated and left in pain to where I was curled up in bed, screaming and crying nonstop. And it was, it was horrible. And I finally now have, you know, a couple doctors who are amazing, but they still haven't figured out what's wrong with me. They know genetic and some type of autoimmune, or at least they think. But again, like I said, mm. I, I can't say for certain But there were times I would come home and I would look up some of these doctors and there were connections with Are you? Are any of your uh, siblings working on the same things? Are you helping each other solve the mystery? Yeah. So there's um, a lot that have, um, especially autoimmune issues and genetic issues. And um, I actually have one sibling that's in the documentary and she is very sick right now. I mean, it is almost identical to what I was going through last year. Mm. So this film is now out, Our Father. It is the biggest film on the service right now on Netflix, as I know that you know. I'm, I am I don't know if new uh, siblings have come forward since the film has come out, but I know that there are at least 90, as, as we heard in the film, many of whom look like you. Um, has this changed the way that you think of the word family, the way that you define it for yourself? I don't think it's changed how I define it uh, because I've always had, you know, um, a mix, I guess, of, you know, I have my stepdad and I had my stepmom, my stepbrother, like all of this. So it's never, it's never really changed it for me. Um, it's, I just tell people I feel like I have, um, it's bigger and more people to love me and more people for me to love. But it hasn't, at least for me, it has not changed how I view my parents, especially my dad or anyone. Like I still, I love them all and I'm so grateful for their support. 
Well, I think you have the support of millions of people now, Jacoba. Your story is incredible. Thank you so much for sharing it with us in the film and for sharing it with me today. It has been such a pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Thanks. I appreciate it. That's it for this week's episode. Thanks again to Jacoba Ballard. For more of my takes, check out my other podcast, Crime Writers On. Each week on that show, we break down the latest in true crime documentaries, films, podcasts, and pop culture. If you like You Can't Make This Up, please rate and review the show and share it with your friends. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever else you get your audio. And make sure to follow the show to stay tuned for all new episodes. Our music is by Kelly Mack at Netflix Music Lab. You Can't Make This Up as a production of Netflix. I'm Rebecca Lavoie. Thanks so much for listening.